You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. What happens when women lead? What's our leadership perception that might be expanded when we consider women in leadership? What does it mean for women to embrace authority? What does it mean for them to move beyond barriers? What does it mean to find joy in leading? And if you are a person who's responsible for raising up leaders, how can you empower women in leadership? Today's guest is going to help us engage these very questions. But she's not gonna help us engage these questions just from her experience or just from her research, but from both. Joining us today is Dr. Carolyn Moore. Dr. Moore is the author of When Women Lead. It's published by Zondervan and Seedbed Press. You can find more information in the show notes about it for a pre-order of the book coming out in late September, 2022. But Dr. Moore is uniquely situated to help us engage these conversations. As an evangelist, church planter, and disciple maker, she's also the founding pastor of Mosaic United Methodist Church in Augusta, Georgia. She's an ordained elder in the North Georgia Conference of the UMC, and she's a founding member of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Beyond all her research, in this conversation, you will hear a woman who is hopeful. You will hear her passion shine through and her desire to see people grow in leadership, and not just women, but people of all kinds, as she challenges our leadership perceptions. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor, and then enjoy the podcast. Wesley Seminary prepares Christian leaders to engage in missional ministry locally and globally through fully online Masters of Ministry, Masters of Divinity, and Doctor of Ministry programs. Learn from professors who will help you grow in your knowledge of scripture, theology, and church history with the goal of applying what you learn from the local ministry. Journey with a spiritual formation cohort made up of students from around the world that take their own ministry experience and challenge you to sharpen your ministry skills and deepen your spiritual formation. Wherever you are, in whatever way you serve in ministry, we want to serve you. We are Wesley, and you belong here. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Carolyn, it is great to have you with us. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to have a conversation. I really appreciate it. Well, I mentioned before coming on air that I've, I've heard you speak at conferences, and it seems like anytime our paths cross, it's always in the context of something wider. So it is nice to have a bit more of a, a one-on-one conversation here. And of course, it's a one-on-one conversation that multiple people are overhearing. What I'd love for them to have the chance to do is to hear a little bit more about your own story and maybe guide it into how you came to write When Women Lead. So I'm grateful for the chance just to share a little bit about that particular um, pathway toward the book. I was called into ministry when I was 12 or 13 years old, and that would be 45 years ago. So 45 years ago, you just didn't see women leading in churches, Not not in the South anyway, not where I grew up. I struggled to get to my call. I finally got to it when I was about 30, and I've been in ministry now, actually serving a local church for t- almost 25 years. And what I've discovered on that journey is, in this 25-year journey of, of ministry, I've really enjoyed ministry. I have great colleagues and, and friends in ministry. I have served only two congregations, both of them 
just wonderful places to serve most recently for 20 years, just wonderful people. And yet I still felt like that I somehow could not quite catch up to my male colleague friends who were doing similar things, you know, in similar ministry settings. And I couldn't figure out why that was. And I, I just something in me said, okay, I know I'm not the brightest bulb in the leadership box, but I feel like I could keep up, except I think my gender has something to do with this. And, and when you say that, people are always like, no, no, you're great. You're fine. But, but I just had this sense inside myself that gender was somehow playing a quiet kind of behind the scenes role in what I was able to, to do in ministry. is isn't like I wasn't being fruitful. It's just as if I could never quite get where I wanted to go. So when the chance came, the opportunity came for me to really dive into that. What does it look like when women lead, especially what does it look like when women plant churches? Because I was a church planter. And how does that differ from what it looks like when men plant or when men lead churches? And the opportunity came for me to get a doctor of ministry and do that as my project. That was my burning question. What does it look like when women lead? What are the, the barriers or the challenges they face? And how can we help women lead past those barriers so they can successfully lead, plant in whatever way they participate in ministry so they can feel successful, so they can do everything that they sense God is calling them to do. So I did the D-men and oh my goodness, I found, I just discovered there's all kinds of stuff in the secular world about this, but there's just almost nothing in the church world written about what happens when women lead. We feel like, you know, we've answered the conversation when we say whether or not women can leave, but we've not finished our homework. So if we say, yes, women can lead in the church, then what happens when women lead? What are the special challenges they face and how can we help them lead beyond those? So that was what led to the book. Uh, I wrote the dissertation and then I realized I just was not going to be satisfied until I had finished the work and written the book so it could be accessible to a wider audience. And it is accessible to a wider audience. It's not written strictly for women. It's written for men and women who are interested in, this, in the subject of raising up women leaders. I'm the husband mm -hmm. of one wife and the father of four kids, two of whom happen to be daughters, and I'm interested in them having voice, right? I'm interested in and how they will influence our home, how they will influence their workplace, how they can influence our church, if and when the, the time comes in, in whatever capacity. So there's a sense where you've aimed this at a not just a niche audience, but for both men and women. One of the things you argue is, and this is a quote, much of what men and women both think about women, gender differences, and cultural norms is remarkably under-processed. Now, I'm thinking about this, and part of the whatever in me is like, men and women have been thinking about their differences for as long as there have been men and women, right? That's, a, that's been oh. the subject of so much literature and movies and, and music and all kinds of things. And yet there's something about what you said that I think is, is true, because in many ways, the, the women who are closest to me and the, uh, my daughters, they remain mysteries to me. And my wife would say there are some times that my husband remains a mystery to me, that she cannot right. figure out why I'm thinking whatever I'm thinking or, or whatever the case might be. So talk to us a little bit about that. What do you mean by the, these differences have remained under-processed? Well, I would say that, yes, in general, we're always going to have questions about each other. But I'm really thinking specifically about the, the differences we face vocationally when we lead. So if you think specifically in the, in the context of the church world, there are denominations or tribes that have said, yes, we believe that women 
can lead. And we have processed. I mean, my goodness, books and volumes and volumes and volumes have been written on the biblical foundation for women in leadership, whether they can or should not. So that part has been processed. Theologically, we know whether or not we understand women as as being called and gifted by God for spiritual leadership, or we don't. We, we get where we stand theologically as far as that goes. But answering the question theologically does not answer the question psychologically, and it doesn't answer really, it doesn't really answer the fact that kind of what it means theologically to us. So take, for instance, when I think about Genesis 1 and 2 and the creation of men and women, what I read is that men and women were created for partnership, that we were created together to steward the earth and to lead together in our settings. Genesis 3 turned that partnership into a hierarchy. And so everything from Genesis 3 forward is a fallen existence. And we live under that, that mental burden of thinking, is this, a, is this a partnership or is this a hierarchy? But there's something inside of us that keeps... The the fallen side of us wants to flip it into a hierarchy pretty quickly when we walk into a room and figure out who the leader is. So I think we've under-processed how we perceive women as leaders. And I also think that kind of has a kickback effect. If I tend to perceive leadership, like naturally think of leadership as being a male-oriented thing, then that's going to kick back into how I understand myself. And even if I have been called, gifted, hired, given a position of leadership, do I really believe that I deserve that position of leadership? That if I have been invited to the table, that I belong at that table? So there's all this psychological stuff underneath that has been under-processed, especially in ministry settings. And as we process those differences and understand what's happening beneath the surface in the the, the unspoken world of leadership, then we are better equipped to walk into a room and, and understand our place in that room and take authority in that room as a leader. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about is in the fall, we take the, I don't mean this word in, in its technical sense that it might be used. We take the compliment that men and women, male and female are to one another. And that difference becomes something that's meant that we use for competition, which ends up being energy wasted rather than saying the differences between men and women are things that we help one another in the joint mission that we've been given together. I mean, it's it's closer to an example, but I think about it like this. C.S. Lewis talks a whole lot about imagination and men and women simply have different imaginations, right? We see the world differently. And whenever we close off one of those imaginations from having a way to open reality, to see reality well, then everybody suffers, right? If we if you close off one way of seeing the world, which is true and helpful and necessary, then everybody loses. And so how important it is for us to say, yeah, maybe the biological and physiological differences are there to help us so that we can see the world in a fuller sense, so that it, we can accomplish this mandate of leading in the world to see it flourish and thrive so that we have a gift, right? We have resources, more resources that are in women, resources that are in men that can work together to accomplish this this mandate we've been given to help the whole of creation flourish and thrive. Right. 
That's well said. And that's, you're basically describing the way I look at Genesis one and two. We were created to be partners and we, we bring our own gifts and call and our, and our own anointing into that work. The problem happens when we begin to, to say, well, because you don't look like what I have in my head as a leader, I am not going to trust your leadership. That's where the, the mental shift needs to happen. If we can ask ourselves, what are our preconceptions about leadership? Maybe we haven't even consciously acknowledged that yet. What do we need to consciously acknowledge? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to shift so that we can accept leadership in all the ways God provides it? I found it interesting whenever I was prepping for our podcast. I actually found another book that's coming out soon after yours called When Women Lead as Well. And I thought, well, that's that's kind of interesting. You've been studying this. You've been researching this. What do you think is in the cultural air, so to speak, that we've got two books on women and leadership coming out so closely together? I haven't previewed the other books. So I don't know if the content is the same, but I mean, the titles is the same. So what do you see in the cultural air that might have led to this uh, state of affairs? Yeah. So Julia Borston's book, When Women Lead, which, as you said, is coming out this fall also, is a profile of 60 business leaders. She's coming at it from a very secular place, and she's really just profiling successful business leaders to discover what it is that makes them tick. What I like about the fact that both of these books are coming out, it kind of proves my point that female leadership is not just a thing that the church is still wrestling with. Female leadership is something that everybody is trying to understand. And in the wake of some I guess, kind of awakening events like the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement, and and our first female vice president. In the wake of these more recent developments, relatively speaking, um, we're beginning to understand that female leadership is not going away, but we may not understand everything there is to understand about it. The simple fact of saying, yes, I believe women can lead, That answer alone is not enough to help us really support women who who lead, train up women who lead, and then find ourselves under their leadership in in healthy ways. So I actually kind of like the fact that there's another book out there that's going to come at this from a different direction and give us a fuller picture of what happens when women lead. So much of my research is not profiling women who actually lead, but really looking at the psychology beneath it. I'm, I've done a ton of research in the business world and the psychology world just to just to look at sort of how we think about female leadership. And then what? how do we use that information to strengthen ourselves as female leaders or to raise up others who are ready to lead? Warren Bird and Ed Stetzer did a really powerful study a few years ago. They were looking specifically at church plants across the country. It's one of the most extensive church planter uh, surveys done in, I guess, in American history. And what they discovered was this, that when a planter, when a church planter knows what they're getting into, even if they know the hard stuff, when they know what they're getting into, they're 400% more likely to succeed. I took that information and kind of transferred it, looked at what the Small Business Administration says, and sure enough, they say the same thing, that when an entrepreneur, a small business owner, knows what they're getting into, even if it's the challenges, they are 400% more likely to succeed. 
And that's the spirit in which this book is written. It's written to say, listen, there are some things we're not going to change as long as we're on this side of the fall and before Jesus comes back. There are mentalities that will be there in this fallen world for as long as we're alive. But that doesn't mean we're doomed to just sort of sit under that sort of oppressive mindset. Nope. Actually, it means if, if I get smart, if I get wise about how I lead and understand my challenges and figure out how to lead past them, then I can not just survive, but actually thrive. I can flourish. So the subtitle for my book is Embrace Your Authority, Move Beyond Barriers, and Find Joy in Leading Others. And that's what I'm after. I want to see men and women both finding joy in the leadership experience. The leadership development component to the book is really strong and grounded in your in your research, grounded in the in the evidence that you've examined and considered. One of the things that you caution against is simple optimism. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing you speak at a conference, a seedbed conference, I think it was a number of years ago, and you said something like this. You said, it's possible to lead people to a place you've never been, but you'll crash and burn at some point along the way. It was one of those things that just kind of sat in the room for, for a moment. And there's ways that this kind of naive optimism can say, well, I'll, I'll grow as a leader along the way, right? This, my spiritual life will just deepen along the way. You know, this kind of optimism won't, won't face necessarily the challenges that maybe others have faced before. So I'd love you to bring this back to the book you just finished, this warning against this kind of naive optimism. You're trying to warn people against engaging in leadership that will be used for them to crash and burn, right? You're trying to raise them up as leaders. What does this warning look like for women? And and how does it relate to this kind of simple optimism? How would you caution against this kind of simple optimism? It was one of the bigger finds in my own research. I didn't expect to find an optimism bias. I didn't even actually have that terminology before I started the research, but I was interviewing women who had planted churches and other women who are leading in churches. And over and over, I would find them, you know, especially in their surveys, their written surveys that they were completing for me, they would say, yeah, you know, everything's great. All the people I work with are great. Finances are great. I'm really doing well. Things are good. I had enough of those responses that I really began to scratch my head because that had not been my experience. And in fact, I knew many women who could readily say, this is hard. But when I would ask women specifically to comment on what it was like for them in the surveys, I would get these very optimistic responses. So then I called them. And after having enough of a conversation with them, then they started to loosen up. And I would begin to hear stories, really, really hard things, bad experiences, um, failures. And, 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 and that would happen over and over in these more personal conversations. So I finally asked, so where were these stories when I was getting your written answers. And one woman put it so well. She said, I guess I've just gotten so used to selling myself that I've forgotten how to be true to what my actual experience is. And I think that that is a word well taken for me and for any other woman who's on the journey of ministry. We we get so used to just trying to to sell ourselves into a room or sell ourselves into a position or because we're working hard on lots of different fronts at the same time. And we can so easily forget to be honest with ourselves and the people around us about the challenges, the barriers that we face. 
So I come back to what we learned from Stetzer and Bird, which is when you're honest about the barriers you face, you're actually, you're not less likely to succeed. You're more likely to succeed. So what's that warning look like for women? It's, it's be brutally honest, be brutally honest with yourself. And I'm not asking you to, to make everything negative. I'm just saying, be honest about both your successes and your failures, your personal failures, be honest about your gifts and your weaknesses. Be honest about what you can handle and what you might want to handle, but just can't handle right now. The more honest you are, the more likely you are to succeed. I see that as applicable across a number of contexts. I love that, that mm-hmm. idea. The more that you're engaged in selling yourself into a room or into a position or whatever it is, the more you're engaged in that, the, the tougher it is to be true and honest. And I mean, the book shines through in this way that it, there's an authenticity to it that is born over, as you mentioned, the the years of ministry experience and and the ways that you've engaged in in leading and you've experienced these things. And no doubt you've been tempted to do the very things that you saw these other women do in these interviews, which was to say, maybe the reality is a little bit more challenging than I was willing to admit in the moment. I want to bring this back to one final question, kind of like a, an opportunity then for you to share your heart for this. You name and describe throughout the book, unique challenges women face in leadership. What is one challenge that you'd like listeners to be aware of? And and I'd love for you to bring it both to emerging leaders, but also to people who are raising up women leaders. What's one challenge that both of these people, both these groups of people need to be aware of? I think the the real challenge is around that, that the whole issue of perception, how we perceive leadership, how that affects how we understand women in leadership. And then how that kind of conversely ends up affecting the way that I understand myself as the leader. If I'm a woman, do I really accept my leadership, my, my skills, my gifts? Do I really embrace that? And then on the strategy side of that, if I really do understand my leadership gifting and, and anointing, but I struggle to find my place in a room as a leader then the next step for me is to really to work on my sense of authority and my own identity. I spend a good bit of time in the book really asking challenging women to understand who they are in Christ. And this is as a leadership principle, that doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, you're going to lead better if you understand who you are in Christ. <laughs> if you understand how God has designed you, what he's made you for, who's, who are the people he's called you to, and who has he not called you to? I think for women, there is a, is a very specific opportunity here for really honing in on what your specific gifts and call are so that you don't bend to the temptation to just say yes to anything somebody asks you to do because they need to check the woman box and have somebody in a position. I wish I could take back all of those where I said yes to things. I didn't have any time for that or didn't need to be in that room, but I said yes because somebody else was checking a box. So the more we take authority over our call and the more we understand who we are in Jesus, the more comfortable we're going to be in any room or any or with any invitation we've been given. The one thing I'd like for listeners to be aware of, both as emerging leaders and as people raising up women leaders, is really get honest with yourself about how you perceive leadership, how you perceive your own leadership, if you're whether male or female. And then do you understand who you are in Jesus? Do you really understand God's call on your life? Do you really understand the ways he's gifted and anointed you? 
Joining us today has been Dr. Carolyn Moore. Carolyn is the author of When Women Lead. I want to make sure that listeners know they can get pre-order this. It comes out late September, but you can pre-order this at seedbed.com, When Women Lead. And there's a number of perks that go along with the pre-order. Pastor Carolyn, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Wesley Seminary podcast today. A true grace. Thank you very much. The Wesley Seminary podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry, and I trust we have done just that today. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. You make conversations like this possible. Shout out to Connor for your production work. I appreciate the way that you make the podcast run. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.